Our sponsor today is GLSA. For those non-members who may be listening in, GLSA or Group Legal Services Association is a professional membership representing the legal services plan industry and provider attorneys. And joining GLSA is just a good way for solos and small firms to increase their business. Uh, check us out at glsaonline.org. Okay, my name is Tom Martin. I'll be your host today. Our podcast today is It's an Alternative Legal World. We're just living in it with Kimberly Bennett. I'm very excited to introduce you to today's guest. Uh, Kimberly Bennett is a trademark and business strategy attorney and founder of K. Bennett Law, a boutique subscription legal services law firm that helps small businesses protect their brands and grow profitable and sustainable seven-figure organizations. She is an innovator, uh, an entrepreneur, a legal industry disruptor, and a business coach who happens to be a lawyer. Also this year, Kim was named to the Fast Case 50, a prestigious list of legal innovators. Essentially, Kim is not your average attorney, and I'm honored to have her on our, on our show today. Welcome, Kim. Thank you for having me. Thank you. And uh, and happy holidays. We're coming up on Christmas and the new year in less than two weeks. Um, how are you celebrating? I'm going to be, I think I'm going to be home. So we were trying to decide if we were going to do a last minute trip out of uh, the country to somewhere warm, but I think I'll be home just kind of relaxing and getting ready for 2020. Yeah. And I definitely hear you about someplace warm um, being based out of Vancouver. It's starting to get pretty chilly and the prospect of going somewhere warmer would be, uh, is really uh, uh, appetizing. (laughs) So I totally understand. I'll visit Um, one day, just uh, not living in that cold weather. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, Which brings us to location. So you have, uh, and we'll get into the details a little later, but you you have a New Jersey and Pennsylvania virtual law practice, but you live in Atlanta, Georgia. Is that right? That is correct. That is so cool. Um, And I know that you do a few different things and we'll kind of drill down into that too, but can you give me like an overview of what you do? Sure. So we're trademark and business strategy law practice. And I started my career in corporate and I really, when I came out right after the market, I came out of law school pre-crash, left corporate post-crash and, um, you know, had to take my development, my professional development in my own hands. And so I really wanted to still have some of those same consistent revenue, consistent, um, you know, working deeper relationships with clients, some of those same characteristics and how I um, worked in my firm. And so I just decided there was maybe a better way to do it. And 10 plus years later, here I am with, um, with my firm that really helps brands just build and grow and really, you know, be sustainable so they can drive the impact that they want to have in the world. That's fantastic. And uh, this year you were named to Fastcase prestigious 50 list of legal innovators. Congratulations on that. Thank you. And um, so I, I'd like to learn more about all of this, like how you came to this and learn a little bit more about your story. So if you could tell me, like, where did you grow up? Sure. So I am New Jersey, New York native. Um, I think my childhood experiences, all the things that have that I've, you know, experienced in my life have led me to where I am today. So, and I do believe that we have the opportunity to pull from all those experiences to be better in our personal, professional, public lives. And so that's just 
where I am today. So I didn't get here alone. I've had a lot of support along the way, but I started, I grew up in New York, New Jersey, pretty much half of each, um, central Jersey, Marlboro for anyone who's from Marlboro and then <laughs> Queens, New York. Um, and, uh, went, you know, school in both very different in neighborhoods, probably, um, really saw different perspectives on life and growing up and what that looks like. I, I, I like to say I'm a, you know, clearly I'm a black woman, uh, black female attorney that's, you know, practicing, but more importantly too, I also a privileged person as well. And I have family that has, um, experienced different pieces of the law and I've seen what that looks like. And so when I ended up actually going into law school, which wasn't really my first choice, actually, um, all those experiences uh, came into play. And I just, um, I, I knew along my journey that I had to both recognize the path that I was given, the, the advantages that I was given, as well as um, recognize that others didn't always have that. And that I wanted to be able to grow in a career that I, that allowed me to have you know, more impact in other people's lives. And I, and I think I went into undergrad, not, not always no understanding what that was going to look like. And then law school, not a hundred percent sure, but started to see a path. And, you know, that led me to where I am today, which is a practicing attorney. But I started as thinking I was going to be a psychologist, thinking I was going to be a doctor, you mm -hmm. know, thinking that I was going to do all these other things, but even though I'm not doing them, I see how they play into my life today. Yeah. And I, I, I understand that you do come to the practice of law with that that wealth of different life experiences. I think that's that's really enriching. Um, you you studied medicine, researched psychology, and you also worked in Google's legal department. Is that is that right? Yeah, I, um, for um, not for a super amount of long time. So about about a year, I was there. So I was a contract attorney working at Google. It was a great experience, a great organization um, that I had a pleasure to working for and learning. From um, loved being on the West Coast, but I'm an East Coast gal, so I knew that um, as much as I loved being out there, I think it was time for me to come back to the East Coast. Um, but yeah, I mean, going working in corporate and big corporate organizations like a Google, like um, I've worked at other large organizations as well, you know, banks, professional services, stuff like that. That you you see some of those same structures that you wish you saw in small businesses that really have the same impact. Um, not have the same, they have actually more impact day to day than I think even large organizations do because, you know, there might be, um, employing most of an, most of a neighborhood, most of a community, um, you know, and so like the Google experience really just allowed me to see uh, what the possibilities are for organizations that have that support, that have that structure, that have, um, different people that can come in and lend their expertise to grow, um, uh, organization's mission or vision. And so it, it was a great experience for me. Glad I lived out there, but. I'm happy to be back on the East Coast too. <laughs> <laughs> you know, one thing you, you mentioned earlier is that the the study of law, like go, going into becoming a lawyer, that wasn't necessarily the plan that you had in mind initially. Can you tell me a little bit more about that? Sure. So, like I was saying, um, grew up New York, New Jersey. Had a lot of a lot of range of experiences. I don't know if other anyone's ever heard of this program, People to People Student Ambassadors. So mm -hmm. years ago, I um, traveled to Russia um, as a young adult, not not young adult, young teenager, and um, really just that was like the piece of my life where I was like, oh, the world is different. It doesn't look like everything that I had, and how can I explore that a little bit more? That led me to going to. Um, Spelman College. So I'm a Spelman grad. 
And while there, studied abroad again, um, had mm. some of those experiences. And I went into Spelman thinking that I was going to study medicine because I thought, well, the way to change the world and the things that you're taught as the kind of the professions to go in was, you know, medicine. For me, I have um, parents that are, um, my mother is an administrator, so teaching, um, law, law, some of those professions. So I went into Spelman with that idea of that I was going to um, start there. And then I guess experiences took me along the path of just just having different things happen while, while at Spelman, one of which was working for Georgia Department of Juvenile Justice. And that's where I kind of brought together what I experienced with going to Russia and kind of that experience was really seeing segregation in real time, which was mm-hmm. kind of pretty profound for me at that age. I was like 12, 13. And then going to Spelman and um, studying abroad and seeing some other things and realizing, well, how, and then working for Georgia Department of Juvenile Justice and thinking, well, how do I have this greater impact on the world? And maybe it didn't look like going to medicine because I didn't like blood. So that's a whole other story you can go <laughs> down that path. I don't know, you know, but yeah. Just kind of growing into it, and then so that that led me. And I think I feel like I went on off on a tangent. So sorry about that. Tell me, let's no, go back no, to that no, question no. one more time. That's fine. I, and it, what a wonderful experience to have uh, early on about you know going to a different country and seeing that different perspective and the different experiences that you've had. Uh, speaking of perspective, how do you think it's made you a different lawyer? Well, I think it. Uh, I guess when I'm thinking about those different specific times in life that kind of change you and shift you, Russia was one, going to Spelman was another, studying abroad was another, working for Georgia Georgia Department of Juvenile Justice was another. All those different things led me to, I think, just look at life a little bit differently. Um, Psychology is, I love psychology. Um, I love the, the study of people and human behavior and things like that. And and so I, I just, my approach, I think has always been a little bit different, just be, whether that's because I am a, you know, I'm a black woman. So my perspective is going to come from that, from that, you know, vantage point. I'm a black woman of privilege. I came come from that, that vantage point too. Um, mm-hmm. But all those things came together just to allow for me to think of the law a little bit differently. So when I stepped into law school, I came with all of those things. Like I actually started law school um, with the intent of be- going into a PhD program at the same time. So while in law school, I was both getting my JD and my PhD in clinical psychology. Wow. Because I wanted to have this, like, it was all those life experiences. It was a little bit of like what happened with Russia and then what happened when I was um, in, um, in in Spelman and then, go, you know, studying abroad again and then just seeing life and, and wanting to bring it all together. And and so now as a practicing attorney, I just, I think I just keep on leaning on to the same things. I, I did not finish my PhD program. And I remember my mentor at the time, she told me her name is Dr. Lamia Barakat. So I will give her a shout out for saying this to me as I was leaving the program. She said, you learned all the things you've learned enough, right? You can apply the things you learned as a lawyer. And for me as a, you know, a very um, driven young adult, I didn't really want to hear that at the time. I just wanted to get the degree. Right. Um, but I knew it just wasn't the right move for me. So leaving the program still, even though I left it, it didn't feel great. And her advice to me didn't, I, I don't, I didn't want to take it in at the time, but fast forward more than 10 years later, she was a hundred percent on point. And I think that's what has allowed me to look at the law differently, to look at the way I want to work with clients a bit differently, 
all those experiences then after law school working in a corporate, like going back to working for big organizations or like, you know, the Googles of the world or anything else like that, just saying, well, how can I bring all these life experiences into how I practice that doesn't have to look like the practice of the law, the, the way the practice of law used to look like. So all that came together for me and, and led me to practicing law this way. And, and I don't think there, it wasn't just one experience. I think it was the culmination of all those small experiences from young, you know, teenager through my adult experiences, even till today, you know, after yeah. practicing for over 12 years and so. And speaking of doing things differently, you know, practicing differently, um, we touched on earlier about a virtual law practice and subscription-based law practice. Um, but for our listeners, I'd love to unpack that. So first of all, what is a virtual law practice? Sure. I, and this is a great question because we were, I was having this conversation with someone the other day about what it means to be virtual versus remote. And, um, and so virtual, for me, I look, look at it as a tech-driven practice that allows for you to work from anywhere. So when I decided that I was going to go into private practice or to open up a firm, I, I don't love the idea of private practice, but like that, that term. But when I decided to open up my business, that happens to be a law firm, I decided that I wanted to be able to work from anywhere that I, I came from a corporate, um, I came from corporate where I traveled a lot. I started my career in labor. And so we traveled a lot. I traveled across the country on, I was on trains here and there. So I always had to have access to things when I needed them. And, um, so then when I decided to open my business, I thought I should have the same thing. And so, but I didn't want to be tied to a location. I wanted to be lean. I didn't, um, I didn't want to have all of the stress of the overhead that came with it. So I look at virtual practices as a tech enabled practice that allows for you to work with clients, engaging technology first, right? Using technology, but not um, taking away from the core components of still being client focused, still thinking about what the client's experience is like, still thinking about how you design, you deliver high value. It just doesn't have to be in a, you know, 40 story building with mahogany desk. It could be using technology that allows for you to deliver that same high value and allow for you to work from wherever you want to. And so that's, that, that's how I looked at virtual really working from anywhere, being able to deliver high value service to clients and um, using technology to drive um, my business growth. Okay. So in terms of like what made you consider that, it was that you were already doing it. It sounds like you just, right? Yeah. I mean, I think that's really interesting, right? Because here's the thing with um, life. Ex I think that's what I was saying too earlier. This is a really a culmination of all of my experiences. It's different things were happening. I'm like, well, why can't I do it like this? What What's the reason? What's What's the reason that I can't do it that way? Is it just because someone said no, or is it does do ethics prevent me from doing it? Is it um, just something people haven't thought of? And so, right, I mean, I came from a from corporate where, as a corporate, when you're working with an organization in a business as an attorney, you're using your your legal expertise to solve business issues, and we moved around a lot. So. I was moving around a lot. I wanted to still be able to move around and still have that same flexibility. So that's a little bit of the virtual came from, right? Wanting to be able to do that and not have all the overhead of a traditional legal business that I saw others have. Makes total sense. So why New Jersey and Pennsylvania? And then you're living in Atlanta. How does that go? How does that happen? So Atlanta <laughs> is a, I'm a second time transplant because I went to Spelman undergrad. So, um, Loved living here when I was an undergrad, stayed here a year after. That's when I worked for Georgia Department of Juvenile Justice. And then I went back to law school. Um, and then I decided, so my partner, he's out here. 
And when I went back out, um, when I when I left New York and I decided, okay, I'm going to refocus my efforts on my business. So I started my business. I started in that freelance solo space in 2010, really established my firm a little, little couple of years later, but I was always in that space. And so when I decided I'm going to put even more effort back into building out this legal business, and as I was like, well, why not be in Atlanta? He's there. I'm up here. This this is a virtual practice. This is what you say. Do it. Do what you say. And so that's what I did. I just decided to leave New York. I was over the cold. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I just came back from California. From So I was probably about, uh, I don't know, some months back post uh, leaving Google and uh, thought, yeah, I just want to continue to to push my practice forward and 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 grow in my career. And why not be in a place where I enjoy the weather better and that I can still do what I do because I run this virtual business. So that's that's a little bit of Atlanta. Why New Jersey, Pennsylvania? Well, because I went to Villanova Law School. <laughs> <laughs> and I was, like I was saying earlier, I was a JD PhD student. Um, that program is a seven-year program. Six years you're in law school, seven years you're in a PhD program. And then mm-hmm. you go and you do all of the traditional PhD work after. Um, we, my class, we got out in five years of law school because we thought this was a little too long. <laughs> so we were in law school for five. But when you're doing a program like that, interestingly enough, traditional law firms don't love it, right? Yeah. So I think, again, experience experience is leading you to where you are today. It's another example. You know, I would do all of the traditional, you know, interviewing process with big firms. And what ended up happening was they, they would, I would get to the final round and to convince the other partners to hire me when I wasn't graduating the next year was a hard uphill battle for the partner that was advocating for me. And so yeah. I just was like, okay, well, if I'm going to still be in, still be in grad school while I have my, while I sat for the bar and I got my uh, law, law degree, I thought, well, I'm going to be able to practice where I'm at. And so I just wanted to make sure I was, I was in Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania had reciprocity. I wanted to be in a state that had reciprocity. And then New Jersey, because it was the second day, might as well take two bars. That, that's what I thought. I mean, there yeah. was, it was just like, you know, one day was Pennsylvania, the next day was New Jersey. So that's what I did. You know, I, I hear what you're saying about virtual law practice, and it sounds really attractive. I think, um, you know, I've, I've, I've told other lawyers this too, is that as information workers, you know, it, it's, it doesn't really matter where you're at uh, right. because what we provide is advice and counsel and wisdom and all that good stuff. So would you recommend virtual law practice to other lawyers or do you think it depends on where the, you know, what kind of practice they have? I mean, I would absolutely recommend it. Even if you, I would recommend it to all lawyers, right? Because one, it gets you to think, to me more efficiently, right? Instead of, especially the way I define it, you know, engaging technology as part of that, because you, when you're not meeting clients in face-to-face, typically like in an office, you want to figure out how you develop a relationship outside of those traditional norms. And so you, you'll get creative, then you'll get, then you'll use technology to get efficient, right? Mm-hmm. And I think starting even with thinking virtually years ago, allowed me to be more curious about how I practice the law. So I would definitely recommend it. Is that where you land up? Maybe it doesn't work for you. I think it's a, still an internal decision on how you best show up and allow that to drive the decisions that you make when you're thinking about how to grow your business. But for me, it did look like, I believe lawyers, our our role isn't to draft a document. It is to advise on strategy on how you 
negotiate terms in that document, right? And then the document, then, then we can use technology to help push it out more efficiently. I think advisor is what our role is. That is our superpower, being able to see different issues and an issue spot and then be able to synthesize it in a way, hopefully we're not using a ton of legalese, right? That our clients can understand or, or community if we're educating people can understand. And that's our superpower. It's not drafting a document. It's not being in a, you know, in a, 40th floor with, maho in, with mahogany furniture. It's really just how do you better best respond to client needs and community needs so that we can be the public servants that we're supposed to be. And, and I hear you when you talk about superpower, because I think right now, especially with the rise of technology and the investment in it, and I know over the past few years, people have been talking about AI and robots taking legal jobs and stuff like that. <laughs> Uh, but the superpower is is that thing that lawyers have, the advisor role you're talking about, that insulates them from any and all of that, you know, uh, worry that they have about technology. Because that fundamental core is something that technology cannot eliminate, right? I 100% agree. I I love technology. I embrace all types of technology. I love to see um, what's happening in um, whether there's you know legal service providers, whether that's those that are attorneys or non-attorneys. I love all of that, and technology is driving it. And I, I agree. There, all it's going to do is allow us to be better, to serve more people, to be able to to you know resolve a huge access to justice gap that that exists in our society because of how our current structure is set up. So absolutely, I don't see our role as going away, except that if we just decide that we're going to be blind to changes mm -hmm. that the community, that our clients, you know, that society is, is is requesting or demanding of us. I think that's how we go away, because if we don't step up, then yes, someone needs to figure out how to solve this gap. But if we do do decide there's a better way to practice, there's a there's a better way to do things, then there's no reason for us not to to go away. And, and in fact, I think there's a, a way for us to have greater impact, you know, longer lasting that really allows people to see how legal really touches every piece of their life and not just when it's a problem, right? Mm -hmm. And speaking about technology, what would you say are the, the, the very top two things that help you uh, to run a virtual law practice and ma make life easier? What are a couple of examples? Yeah. So from a technology perspective, for sure, practice management software and, you know, different strokes for different folks in terms of what you like. Um, you know, I, I have the one that I've been using for years, but I think practice management software, having a tool to manage the work that you're doing in a organized way. And as someone in that, it takes time, you know, my Work is definitely not perfect, perfectly organized, but it's just something that's always I'm always iterating on. So a tool to organize your client management and then a tool to depending on your. Actually, I think this is for everyone, I would say um, a, a customer relationship management tool, a CRM. So where the difference being practice management day to day, what's your actual service and delivery, the the CRM more of like pre and post, right? Before you get the client, things that you're thinking about, um, that sales process, which we're businesses, so we have to think that way, right? And then yeah. after, right? What that what that looks like. So having a way to manage that the full life cycle. Um, another tool, uh, online payment, clearly. I mean, I don't think I, <laughs> that right. is like essential. Um, and I've been doing that, I think from day one or very close to it. Um, yeah, th those are some uh, 
so I would say that I, I'm going to give you four tools I can think of. So practice management, client relationship management, project management um, for your the business overall, um, mm-hmm. and payment processor. And then and then when, when you can, I would outsource like maybe one or two things that allow for you to take a step away and your practice can still run like your phone calls. So another thing that you mentioned earlier on, and I know that it's part of, of what you do is this subscription-based law practice. Yes. And and uh, before the call, um, we we talked a little bit um, about the the sponsor here, Group Legal Services Association. They actually uh, deal with uh, subscription legal. Um, but you're bringing this to your private law practice, and and tell me a little bit about first off, what is subscription-based? Uh, law practice? Like, how do you define that? Right. So it's, I look at it as a relationship driven law practice where you are moving away from hourly billing. So it's a non hourly billing focused model that focuses on creating, solving problems for clients, just like anything else. And it's just a new revenue, a new way to generate revenue, a different way. So we don't do hourly billing. Instead, it's flat fee recurring revenue. And for every month, Every month for a flat recurring fee, you provide a set, a certain set of ser- services, right? And I think it's very aligned with GLSA, right? It's it's really being Definitely. able to capture what you're doing for your clients. And that could look like anything from, you know, what the same similar pricing to GLSA members to thousands of dollars, depending on how you're looking, how you're looking to service your clients. And so it's really taking hourly billing out of the, out of the conversation, moving to value-based billing, moving to um, relationship driven and moving towards providing um, ongoing support for clients across, across a journey. Maybe that looks like, you know, ongoing support for a year because that's what that, relationship life cycle looks like for you and your clients or several years, which might be a little more aligned with what it looks like for my clients. And so that's how I look at subscription legal services. So it's a monthly recurring fee where clients are the four at, at the forefront, the client relationships at the forefront, and you are no longer using billable hours to um, generate revenue. Instead, you are looking to provide more value to your clients. Are there, are there certain types of clients that it works better for? Like, for example, you're your clients are corporate, um, like intellectual property type practice area clients, right? Right. Um, do you think, I mean, are, are there any practice areas you think it might not uh, work well for to have subscriptions? Well, I I am of the mindset, test before we say no, because I think a lot of us will say no before we try. And that's what I've found a lot. Is, you know, when I talk about this a lot with, you know, um, other practitioners that are like, well, it's not possible. Why is it not possible? Because you didn't try it or because you're not giving yourself the space, the creative space and the curiosity, you know, allowing for curiosity to come into the way you're thinking about how you design your services to create a different way of doing things. So I always say, I think it's possible in every single piece, right? You know, is it harder? Is it, you know, maybe in a contingency, maybe there's, maybe, maybe that's not right, the right place for it. Um, But Maybe maybe it is right, and so maybe we we think about how we how we do that a little bit differently than we have in the past. But you know, you can see it in family law, you can see it in estate planning, you can see it in criminal, you can see it in corporate um, IP. So I do believe there's a lot of opportunities for us to move outside of the traditional way of thinking about how we work with clients and move towards a 
a we're, we're a way where we're no longer exchanging time for money, and instead we're focusing on outcomes, and we're focusing on you know how what what are we trying to help the client get to? And it's not we know we're not we can't guarantee a result, but there's still different things we're trying to help the client go through along our process. And let's be clear about that. Let's communicate more. And that's all a lot of what subscription legal services is about. It's really about going back to the core of what our relationship should be: the client. And and the attorney, the client, and the and the legal team, because it's not only attorney mm-hmm. that helps drive that either. I love what you just said about te- you know test before you say no, because <laughs> I've <laughs> I've come across that so often myself. Where any you know most new ideas, when you mention them, the, you know the knee jerk reaction is no. Right. And of course, as lawyers, you know we are we are trained to be risk averse. Uh, because we look at all the downsides first and, and that makes sense because that's our job is to advise clients about that. But when it comes to our own businesses, um, maybe no shouldn't necessarily be our, our initial reaction, but it should be like, let me, let me check that out. Let me, let me test that. Yeah. So I think, yeah. That's very I valuable. Love, I love this question. This is a question I ask um, myself a lot. It's just really, what if I like, what if I dot, dot, dot. And then like, explore from there, you know, because maybe, maybe the end result is no, but if you give yourself the opportunity, the space to just get curious and allow creativity to come in, I think we will be able to solve problems in more interesting ways, particularly in this industry where we just haven't done it because we, we weren't always forced to because of how we're set up. So I think all of us can ask the, what if I question a little bit more and see how that can take us down a different path and how we practice. So for lawyers who might be considering, uh, you know, offering their legal services on subscription, what what would be the upside for them, do you think? Sure. I mean, um, you get paid on time all the time. Um, you're focusing. <laughs> I mean, I think that's probably most people are like, well, I don't, you know, chase clients for bills, right? You know, do you have hiccups once in a blue? Sure. But you're a business. That's just like the business, right? But it's really, it's taking that being clear and transparent about the money conversation and then moving to what's the point of the, the point of the relationship isn't about money. It's about helping solve problems, right? Helping move forward, helping them, you know, um, adopt their new child, right? All those, you know, all the amazing things we can do. So it's shifting the the conversation to a client focused conversation, a more relationship driven. It's a healthier way to practice, right? We know as a, as an industry, we have a, a lot of unhealthy habits, right? That we need to break. And I think part of that comes from really moving away from the billable hour, which is, an unhealthy way to deal with how you manage a client relationship, how you manage your time, how you think about if you're successful or not. That I mean, just because you work 2,500 hours a year doesn't mean you actually accomplish anything, right? So I believe that in terms of from financial stability, in terms of freedom and flexibility, in terms of creativity, in terms of wellness, um, in terms of being able to design a practice that really works for you and your clients and how you wanna show up, that's the opportunity that exists when you move away from the billable hour. And that's what this model is about. And so I invite every attorney that's thinking about it or a legal team or, you know, non-attorneys that are in this, this space that are thinking, Hey, how can I help move the legal industry forward to consider legal subscription, legal services as a way. I, I know you're very active on social media. I see, I see you everywhere. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and I know that um, you also host a, a weekly live show, right? Um, how, how does that fit in with your law practice? Like, do, does it help you 
in terms of gaining new clients? Does it help in terms of just uh, enriching your own experience of being a practicing lawyer? Like, how does it work for you? Yeah. So I will say if people, if people do say that to me, I see you everywhere. Like your socials everywhere. First of all, I don't do this on my own. And I think it's important to say that, right? Like I do believe entrepreneurship is a team sport and I would not be able to be here without, you know, parents supporting, family supporting, team members supporting. So I have a marketing team member that helps me push out a ton of that content. So shout out to Allison who does help me do a lot of that. Um, so yeah, so together, I mean, the goal of that, why we put that show out. And so funny, this, the show has gone through transitions. It was a monthly show and then it became, um, two monthly shows. Then it became two weekly shows. And then it's now down to one mm. weekly show because I don't know. Two I weekly just like, yeah, it was two weekly shows for about for a, nine months of this year. And then I decided that was a little too much. Um, yeah. so we, we <laughs> con consolidated down to one. Um, but yeah, what does it do for me? So from, um, thinking about the the journey of a client, well, first, yes, it gives me some awareness for people to know I exist, right? And then allows for me to share content. The best way I like to share content is to talk and speak. And so it's the better way for me to show up. That then allows for me to drive a lot of other content that goes out. And so that's kind of our way to create a ton of content that goes out to the rest of our community. I do believe, you know, I'm one person. Um, I have a team, right? But I individually only can work with so many people. Other people on my team, they only can work with so many people. And so I believe that it is part of my responsibility to help. And and, and maybe, maybe not responsibility is too strong a word, but I do feel like I that it's great to, inf to have informed entrepreneurs and informed communities and that live show allows for me to do that so that even if I can't work with you one-to-one, -one, I can still provide education. And I think that's just, it's another way to educate people that maybe I can never work with. Um, I also do coaching. So it's an, an opportunity for if those want to see what my personality is like too, if they want to work with me in a you know coaching environment, there's that. But it's a great way to be able to give my point of view on, on the law, on business ownership, on impact. And for those that maybe can work with me or can't, because I do work with a certain set of clients. And so I can't work with everyone. So that's just a way to, to expand um, who maybe I touch and maybe that I can learn from as well along this process. So, so along those lines, what, what advice would you give to lawyers who may, may be struggling with social media or understanding its importance? Yeah. So it's important first. <laughs> so here's <laughs> the thing. Um, you can be the most amazing professional, right? Most amazing attorney. But if no one knows you exist, then you can't help solve more problems. And so we have to figure out a way to be able to show people, like I said earlier, that legal touches a lot of things, right? And a lot of times we think about clients that come to us at the height of an issue, at the height, like they're experiencing that fire, that big pain point in their life. So they come to us, they're about to get divorced, they're about to have a child, they want to adopt a child, they want to start a business, they want to get their first trademark. That's great. But before those things happen, that person might've been considering adoption. They might be considering what it would look like to have a child in the next five, 10 years. That's the opportunity that social media exists where you can start elevating that conversation. You can um, help them start thinking about steps they can start taking before they even come to you. Because we we all know we we have clients that come in and we, we always think to ourselves, if only you came into me, 
a week earlier, a month earlier, a year earlier, mm-hmm. I could have done so much more. So why not provide that education, right? And social media gives you that that space. And so you don't have to be everything to everyone. It's really just about saying, who are the people you want to work with? What, you know, well, what are ways I can help support them along that, that process till it's time for them to hire someone like me, maybe me, maybe someone like me and take one small step, right? You know, the, maybe the platform that, that you, you don't, you know, you like to be on that also your clients like to be on and just, you know, take one small step forward and thinking about how you can organize your, the conversation basically you're going to have with people in a leveraged way. I think that's great advice. Um, you know, social media nowadays is actually what marketing was. I mean, that's right. the way people communicate is through stories and online. So it's you're right. If if you if you're not if you're not there, um, there's really no way that people are gonna get to know about you. So. Right. And, and, and it connects to the, all the things you might be doing in real life too, right? So you, you might be doing all these amazing things in real life that no one knows about. So you have the opportunity to share them on social media so people can find about, out about it. And it's a work in progress. Give yourself some grace when you're learning it. You're not going to be perfect. You're going to mess up along the way. I mean, quick tips, just don't share client-specific information, right? You know, share more a little bit about you, about educate people. You know, that's a way to kind of step into it to feel a little less stressful and an opportunity to start, you know, making some strides with social. Mm-hmm. And so you do legal coaching as well. Like, do you provide advice like this to other lawyers? So I do business coaching. Um, so, and, and I know like, um, like Erin Gerstenzang and her sister, um, you know, and there's some others like, you know, Erin um, Levine too, she has legal coaching as well. So I don't necessarily do legal coaching from a client perspective. I do it from a, Although I guess they could be clients, but they don't they don't typically turn into clients like law firm clients. This is really kind of building out your business and thinking about how you can embrace recurring revenue in your business as well. And so um, a lot of the people I do coach are lawyers, but they're not only lawyers. And it's helping them think through how to redesign their services in a way that allows for them to um, design a subscription that gives them the freedom, flexibility and financial you know, stability that they that they want. And you have a group called the Modern Legal Collective. Can you tell me a little bit about about what that is? Sure. So the Modern Legal Collective is that's that's where my coaching program um, sits under. And so it's really the idea that I believe entrepreneurship is a team sport, and that I believe in the legal space. A lot of times, lawyers, you know, my colleagues, myself included, you know, sometimes we are some of the loudest voices in the conversation, but we definitely are not the only voices. And mm-hmm. I believe that. We need to expand those voices because it's important to have all parties that intersect with legal, which is basically everyone, you know, to really have a say in the future of the law, the future of the legal industry, the future of legal services and, and law firms. And so I just um, wanted to design a design a community of people who thought it was time to change from a traditional way of practicing into a new, uh, more innovative way. And so that's where the Modern Legal Collective um, started. And that's where the live shows started coming out of. And now I do my, you know, my Watch Us Lead live show and things like that to su- support that mission of just not only expanding the legal community, but really allowing people to have that broader impact professionally, publicly, or personally. Wow. So, uh, yeah, I definitely need to check that out. Um, I know that, uh, that I could definitely benefit from some of the advice that you're given. So oh, thank you. I def- yeah, I definitely would like to check that out for myself. 
Um, so in terms of the future, uh, you know, virtual and subscription-based legal services are a recurring theme in, in your endeavors. Do you, what, what do you see happening with that in the next five years? Do you think this is a phenomenon that is just a passing fad or do you think it'll continue and how do you think it'll expand? Yeah, I definitely think it's going to continue. Will it be here forever? Maybe, maybe not. I think that's the great part of once you step into the space is that you are being curious and creative. And for me, you know, will I be doing subscription legal services 10 years from now? Maybe, maybe not. But if there's a better way to design a, a you know, design my legal business, then I'll do the better way, right? But mm -hmm. so, but where do I see it? I definitely see it continuing to grow because it's still new. I've been doing it for a long time. Didn't have a term for it at the time. And I just knew this, there was a better way to, to work with clients. It didn't look like the traditional billable hour and or traditional law firm structures. And so I, I do see it as the future. I do see it as moving towards a client-driven model where we're no longer trading time for hours because I think that's just absolutely unhealthy and unrealistic when you're trying to grow. And so I'm, I'm excited to see where it goes as more people embrace it, as more of the bar associations start thinking about, hey, there's a better way to think about how we need to work with our clients, right? And to move away from some of the traditional mindsets that are associated with that. Um, um, and for virtual practice, absolutely. And I, and I, people have been doing virtual practices for a very long time and definitely not the pioneer of that. Um, but I, I found it to be a rewarding way to not feel so, um, you know, tied down, but still being able to have the impact that I want. And again, if you take it from, you take the perspective that, you know, as a virtual practice, um, I've I've had times where I've had traditional office space. I just didn't meet clients there, right? So you can right. design however you want to. And so I think if you move with the idea that it's technology driven, it's client focused, same with subscription, right? Um, those same ideas are core to both. And if you move in that that space, then virtual, if that works for you, it'll still be it'll still be the way to do it. If subscriptions, if that works for you, it'll still be the way to do it. But I think at the core of what the future of legal services really, you know, is that alternative way of doing things. It's putting clients at the center, not losing yourself along the way, being profitable and sustainable, and knowing that technology can support and enhance what we do. And so we should really be embracing it as much as possible. And so for me, that means those two things. So we're on the threshold of the holidays. Uh, it's coming up real quick. And I'd, I'd love to know what, what your holiday resolution is if you'd like to share it with us. Sure. What's my resolution? I think I came, I'm coming back to a resolution I did before, which is um, in the nicest way, learning to say no a little bit. Um, um, I do, I love being a part of a lot of different things. I love, um, I love innovation. I do. I love being on the cutting edge. I will test the newest piece of technology. As soon as it's out, if it's new, I'm trying to test it. Right. Yeah. But I think that there, there comes a price with that. And I think as all of us are, growing businesses or thinking about how we want to best show up in this world and create the impact that we want to, we have to understand our bandwidth. And for me, um, learning to say no with the, with the goal and the, with the goal of having an integrated life. So I was talking about this on my live show recently, but moving from just being balanced to integrated because I'm an entrepreneur, I'm a, you know, I love to travel. I am, you know, I'm a Spelman, I'm a Spelmanite, meaning I, grew, I graduated from Spelman in college. I'm, you know, I'm all these things. I'm a woman, I'm a, you know, my, my family's of Caribbean descent, all these things that make up me. So I want to be integrated. And that means my business and my personal, my professional, my public, so that, you know, you have to say no to some things to be able to have this life that really feels at a good flow. And so, so that's my, my 2020 is to learn to say no so I can live more of an integrated 
life, if that makes sense. Yeah, it makes sense. And ask actually ties into the follow-up question I had, which was, you know, any words of advice you have for uh, dealing with holiday stress? And I think that learning to say no would definitely yes, help that's with definitely that. one of them. Learning yeah. to say no, give yourself a little bit of grace, and take time off because, you know, this this moment is it. Like we, you know, our conversation, we're not going to get that time back. And so I have to remind myself too that as much as I could continue to work to get things done because you know I'm the visionary of my organization. I still have to enjoy the moment. So enjoy the moment during the holidays. Spend time with your family, friends, or yourself if that's what you want to do. Because, you know, we didn't decide to, uh, if you're, you know, being a solo small firm attorney, to work 24-7. And so, you know, take take some time, give yourself some grace, and learn to say no in 2020. Well, thank you, Kim. I, I love getting to learn more about you and how the practice of law is changing for the better. Thank you. Thank you for having me. How can people follow what you're up to and keep in touch with you? Sure. Um, well, I am across all social media at, at K Bennett Law. So the letter K B E N N E T T L A W. And of course, I would love if you know if you guys have a moment, you always can catch me live on Watch Us Lead, the live show, or all the replays are available on demand. So you're welcome to join um, and watch a replay as well. So that's how you can find me. That's great. And I know I'm definitely going to be checking them out. So um, thanks again for being my guest today. And uh, thank you all for listening into our po podcast today. It's an alternative legal world. We're just living in it with Kimberly Bennett. This is Tom Martin. I want to thank again GLSA for sponsoring. Remember, joining GLSA is just a good way for solos and small firms to increase their business. Check us out on glsaonline.org. See you next month. Thanks, Kim. Thank you.